Well, hey there, guys. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Web Slingers podcast. This is the one and only show where we talk about all things Spider-Man and the Marvel Universe. And uh, we got a pretty packed show today. We're going to talk about this Marvel Variety article. Uh, the first trailer for Disney Plus's new series, Echo. Um, and we're going to review Loki Season 2, Episode 5. of, And... Um, yeah, got a lot to talk about. Uh, didn't have an, ep- an episode last week. Part of the reason is because I got I ended up catching a cold. I got a little sick last week, so but I'm all good. Well, not a hundred percent, but I I you know right now I, I'm I'm sucking on a cough drop right now, so hopefully uh, I can get. But I should be able to get through the recording of this show. Um. That is also why I did not have an episode of the Zeke Setzo show um, this past Sunday. Um, we did. We I did upload uh, the first episode of Avatar: The After Show. Avatar: The After Show is back for its final season, so that's great. Um, and I am, of course, back with the Web Series podcast. So, so it's a. So we're slowly getting back on track. Slowly but surely, getting back on track. Um, and, uh, and please, please, out everyone out there, do not call me Shirley. Okay. Uh, let's, let's start talking about, let's start getting into this, uh, into some of the, <coughs> let's get it, let's get into some of this stuff here. Let's start with this, uh, this, uh, variety article that came out about the MCU, uh, titled, uh, titled, uh, it is written by uh, Tatiana Siegel. Uh, Siegel, Siegel. Uh, okay. Um, and it is titled "Crisis at Marvel: Jonathan Majors' Backup Plans, The Marvels' Reshoots, Reviving Original Avengers, and More Issues Revealed." Now, I'm going to try and read some of this article. I'm not going to read too much of it, but uh, uh, I'm going to read. I'm going to read read some of this article and kind of uh. Uh, and uh, and and basically give you some of the highlights here, and give you my thoughts on some of these highlights. Um, so let's start with this. This past September, a group of Marvel creatives, including Studio Chief Kevin Feige, assembled in Palm Springs for the studio's annual retreat. Uh, most years, the the vibe would have been would have been confident, even cocky, given how. Prim- Given how the premier superhero brand owned by Disney since 2009 has made the inter- <coughs> entertainment business in its image. But this occasion was against ridden, every, uh, was against ridden. Everyone at Marvel was reeling from a series of disappointments on screen, a legal scandal involving one of the one of its biggest stars, and questions about viability of the studio's ambitious strategy to extend the brand beyond movies into streaming. The most pressing issue to be discussed at the retreat was what to do about Jonathan Majors, the actor who had been poised to carry the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but instead is headed to a high-profile trial in New York later this month on domestic violent charges. The actor insists that he is the victim, 
but the damage to his reputation and the chance that he could lose the case has forced Marvel to reconsider its plans to censor the next phase of its interlocking slate of sequels and spin-offs and series around Majors' villainous character, King the Conqueror. At the gathering in Palm Springs, executives discussed backup plans, including pivoting the, the to another comic book out adversary like Doctor Doom, but making any shift would carry its own headaches. Majors was already a big presence in the MCU, including as the scene-stealing antagonist in February's Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, and he has been positioned as the franchise's next big thing in the season in this season of Loki particularly in the finale which airs on November 9th and sets up Kang as the titular star of the fit of a fifth Avengers film in 2026. So 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 let's so let's kind of talk about that a little bit. Um so the the report going around is that <coughs> the report going around is that they are looking to replace Kang with Doctor Doom, and then, and because of of uh, Jonathan Majors and their court case, they are looking to replace um, Kang as a villain. Now, this is this could be good, but it'll also lead for some massive issues, like the like the like the article states. They had already done so much development and so much time setting up king to be the big threat you know not just having him premiere in the finale of loki season one but also having him in ant-man and the wasp quantumania and putting a big emphasis on him in um loki season two with the whole victor timely storyline now there's a lot of opportunities for them to bring in dr doom like number one, Fantastic Four is going to be the first movie of Phase Six, and is going to really, from what we've heard, be the movie that very much enters us into what the what the storyline is going to be for the next two Avengers films. So that's a possibility there. Also, keep this in mind: in the original, in the in the Secret Wars storyline, Doom, Doctor Doom, is a pretty big character in in, in these storylines, and he is also Doctor Doom. In other Marvel stories, has been like incredibly um, integral, an incredibly integral antagonist to the Avengers and to the the entire Marvel universe. So much so that even the 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 plot line for the uh, Ultimate Alliance video game had him as the main threat, you know. So you can understand why they want why they would want to make that transition from Kang to Doctor Doom because it's a it's a very easy transition because again Doctor Doom being has been a threat to the Avengers, but again. It's also going to come with some very huge messes because you've already done a good job. You, well, not a great job, but you've already done so much work to try and develop Kang as your next big threat. Let's continue reading some of this article here. 
Beyond the bad press for majors, the, the brain trust at Marvel is also grappling with the November release of The Marvels, a sequel to 2019's blockbuster Captain Marvel that has, play, that was, that has been plagued with lengthy reshoots and, is na- and now appears likely to underwhelm at the box office. This is all an unprecedented turn of fortunate of fortune for the for a company that has enjoyed a nearly uninterrupted string of hits ever since it started independently producing its movies with 2008's Iron Man. That wildly profitable one culminated culminated uh, into in the 2.8 billion success of 2019's Avengers Endgame, a high water mark for the studio that has earned nearly 30 billion dollars over 32 films. Replicating that that kind of phenomenon is never easy. However, the source of Marvel's current troubles can be tracked back to 2020. That's when the COVID pandemic uh, ushered in a mandate to help boost Disney's stock price with an endless torrent of interconnected Marvel content for the studio's uh, uh, fledgling streaming platform, Disney+. According to the plan... There would never be a lapse in superhero fare with either a film in the in theaters or a new television series streaming at any given moment. But the ensuing but the but the ensuing tsunami of spandex proved too much, too much of a good thing, and the demands of churning out so much programming taxed the Marvel apparatus. Moreover, the need to tease an interwoven storyline over so many desperate uh, desperate shows, movies, and platforms created a muddled narrative that baffled viewers. The Marvel machine was pumping out a lot of content. Did it get to the point where there was too much, where there was too much, and they were burning out uh, on superheroes? It's possible, says Wall Street analyst Eric Handler, who covers Disney. The more you do, the tougher it is to maintain quality. They tried experimenting with breaking in some new characters like Shang-Chi Eternals with mixed results. With budgets as big as these, you need home runs. The Marvels, which opens which opens in theaters on November 10th, will struggle to get the ball past the infield, at least by Marvel's uh, outside standards. Uh, the the movie, which cost $250 million and sees Brie Larson reprising the role as Captain Marvel, is tracking to open to $75 million to $80 million, far below the $185 million Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness took in domestically in its debut weekend last year. Director Nia DaCosta, the Marvels unites... Directed by Nia DaCosta, the Marvels unites Larson's heroine with two superpowered allies, Tayana Paris Monica Rambeau, introduced in 2021's Disney Plus series WandaVision, and Iman Vellani's Kamala Khan, uh, first seen in 2022 series Miss Marvel. But instead of seamlessly building on the success of Captain Marvel, this movie resulted in four weeks of reshoots to bring coherence to a tangled storyline. Then, eyebrows were raised again when DaCosta began working on another film while the Marvels was still in, pro- in post-production. The filmmaker moved to London earlier this year to begin prepping for her Tessa, for her Tessa Thompson drama, Hedda. Uh, a representative for, De- for DaCosta declined to comment. Hey there, guys. So, I'm kind of 
adding this uh, after I've recorded the whole episode. To be honest with you, this <clears throat> this kind of dropped uh, literally at, uh, like the next day after I had recorded the I recorded the episode on Sunday night, and this uh, piece of news kind of dropped su- on Monday morning. Uh, so Nia DaCosta actually did do an interview explaining. Um, explaining the dropout it wasn't for creative differences it, she actually explains it in this interview uh on the youtube channel uh jake's takes so um let's go ahead and hear what uh what she uh what she had to say i'm sort of curious like what is the difference between what he did 30 years ago that yeah. everyone still goes nuts about and what you did i honestly I'm yeah really, i don't see the difference it's interesting i mean i think there's just a lot of energy and criticism around Marvel anyway, so I'm not surprised. But um but for me personally it was literally just that they moved the date of the film four different times. And so instead of it being a two year process, which I was deeply <laughs> in, committed to, it became a three and a half year process. So every time the date moved and they knew the entire time that I had a, an obligation, a greenlit movie with people who are waiting for me. And I pushed that and I pushed it again and then I pushed it again and then eventually we all knew like, okay, if this pushes again I'm not gonna be able to be in LA uh, to do the rest of this um, in person. So we just figured out a way to like do it remote. We figured out the best process. And actually at the time that I left um, to go to London to start prep on my next film, uh, everyone was so clear about what the film was, what we wanted, everyone knew what I wanted. Um, so it really wasn't the, the dramatic <laughs> sort of thing that I think people are feeling like it is. So, yeah. Well, I feel like anyone who, you know, granted, obviously you know the industry far more than I do, but anyone yeah. who has any kind of a grasp on how this business works goes, yeah, yeah that's, that's a thing that happens, happens quite a bit, yeah. yeah. I'm going to cut you with... Now, as regards to some comments uh, that I will make later on about directors not being given creative freedom and Nia DaCosta not, giving, not being given creative freedom. Now, I still stand by the fact that she made that comment earlier this year talking about how it's not a Nia DaCosta film, that it's a Kevin Feige production. I still stand by that statement. I still stand by that, and I still kind of disagree with the notion that that should always be the case. Now, at least she came out and actually clarified what actually happened because Variety, I personally felt like, made it sound like she was booted off the project made it sound like it was like a Zack Snyder situation that she's booted off the project. Marvel didn't like what she did. So they kicked her off the movie and said, no, you know, so uh, I'm glad she was able to clear that up now. Uh, so just keep that in mind as we can, as you continue through the rest of this episode. Uh, so with all that said, guys, please enjoy the rest of this week's episode of the web centers podcast. If you're if you're directing a 250 million dollar movie, it's kind of weird for the director to leave with a few months to go. Says a says a source familiar with the production. The Marvels has seen its release date moved back twice. Once to swap places with Quantum Mania, which was deemed further along, and again when its debut shifted from July to November to give the filmmakers more time to tinker. But that extra time didn't necessarily help. In June, Marvel, which traditionally only solicits its feedback from Disney employees and their friends and families, friend, and their friends and families, took to the uncharacteristic step of holding a public test screening in Texas. The audience, given the film, middling reviews. Um, so let's so let's kind of um. 
let's let's pause right there and let's kind of talk about the Marvels situation real quick. Now, the Marvels has not been the most anticipated of Marvel releases this year. Um, we I, there was a lot of excitement for Quantum Mania as as we were building towards it. There was actually quite a bit of excitement for Guardians Three as we were building towards that film. But the Marvels has been the one Mar- Marvel project this year that people, even Mar- even diehard Marvel fans like myself, have kind of been like, "Oh, that movie's coming out," and it's kind of unfortunate because I think it's it's being directed by Nia DaCosta, who I think did a great job with the Candyman film. I think she's a talented storyteller, a very talented director, but she, but the the the, the idea of her leaving during post production actually kind of speaks to how much studio meddling goes on within Marvel. A lot of people want to put their head in the sand and go, Marvel doesn't interfere with their studios. Yes, they do. They interfere quite a bit with their studios. With their with their directors, Kevin Feige talks all the time about about how how much studio how much how involved he is during the development of these Marvel projects, even before they've hired on a director. Even someone like James Gunn, who compared working at D for DC and Marvel, um, in an interview I believe it was with Collider, he was being interviewed about the Suicide Squad, and he even talked about how you know Marvel gives more notes than DC did. You know, and but the difference between some, but the reason why we don't freak out over studio meddling when it comes to Marvel is because most of their studio meddling equals success. You know, there's a reason why they have, be, they were the most successful franchise in the film industry is because they know what they they know what kind of movies they want to make. They know the kind of superhero stories they wanted to tell. However, we're starting to see that some of that studio interference is starting to really cause a lot of issues behind the scenes. The fact that this movie, number one, costs $250 million, that's just, there's no reason why a movie like The Marvels should cost $250 million. I could see that price line being given to like an Avengers film or even a... Uh, something even bigger, like a like a Guardians of the Galaxy kind of film, or something even more big and 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 uh, and and uh, and uh, epic as something like the Eternals, you know. But very quickly, hold on. Let's let's take a look at what the budget for the Eternals was, um, and see how. And here's the shocking thing. As I just put up, as I just, just barely typed that in, the, um, the budget was anywhere between 200 to two, to 250. So let's, Let's ballpark meet in the middle and say 225. That is still less. That's still less than what the Marvels cost to make. Which is completely shocking. Now, to be fair, Marvel has recently given freedoms to certain directors. Like, example, Chloe Zhao talks about how 
Marvel just let her go and let her make the movie she wanted to make. And so and that's why Eternals is one of is the one Marvel film that many Marvel fans are split on. I mean, you have people like me who absolutely loved it. You have people in the middle who are like, eh, it was okay." And then you have other people like uh like like uh like my friend Robert who thought it was absolute garbage. Now, <laughs> like you there's a lot of like and then and then obviously we just had Thor Ragnarok. Marvel gave Taika Waititi a lot of freedom on that film. And Taika Waititi ended up making a movie that felt like a wacky screwball comedy than a traditional Marvel adventure, you know. And but then you but now you're hearing stuff like this where you have Nia DaCosta, who is a fantastic filmmaker, not being given the reins to tell the story that she wants to tell. Even Nia DaCosta came out in an interview recently and said that this is not a Nia DaCosta film. This is a Kevin Feige production. Which just goes to show that she probably isn't happy with what with what <laughs> came out. Now, I could be wrong. I could talk to Nia DaCosta. I like for all I know, if if I like if if I ever got in contact with Nia DaCosta, she would probably tell me that she loved working on the film. Of course she would. Now, is she gonna? T- is she? Pro- is she probably lying through her teeth? Probably, but you know, it is what it is. Um, uh, so let's so let's go ahead and get back into this into this article. But Marvel has never been in the business of being average. Kevin's real superpower, his genius, has always been in post production and getting his hands on movies, making sure that they that they finish strongly. The source adds, these days he spread thin. Uh, Feige declined the comment for this uh, for the story. Feige isn't the only person showing signs of strains. Marvel's entire VFX battalion, including staffers and vendors, is struggling to keep pace with a never-ending stream of productions. This past February, when the credits rolled for the world premiere of Ant-Man of Quantumania, uh, shocks rippled through the through the Regency Village Theater in Westwood over some uh, shoddy CGI. Uh, there were at least 10 scenes uh, where the visual effects had been added at the last minute and were out focus and were out of focus, says one veteran, uh, veteran power, uh, power broker who was there. It was insane. I've never seen something like that in my entire career. Everyone was talking about it. Even the kids of executives were talking about it. The schedule swap with the Marvels had left the Ant-Man sequel in a squeeze pushing uh, pushing up its production uh, schedule by four and a half months. Marvel films are known for coming down to the wire given Feige's ability to quote foam uh, uh, to foam the runway and land the plane that way, says one executive familiar with how the company operates. But this level of unfinished un uh, unprecedented and would be noted in scathing reviews when the tentpole with the $200 million budget opened 11 days after after the premiere. Critics weren't only the ones dismayed. Fed up with 14-hour days and no overtime, Marvel VFX workers voted unanimously to unionize in September, sparking an industry industry-wide trend. The year the the year twenty twenty three was the straw that broke the camel's back, says former Marvel VFX assistant uh, coordinator Anna George. 
who appeared before the Congressional Labor uh, 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 Caucus. I'm I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. C a u c a c u s. I'll just spell it out so I don't butcher the pronunciation. On October 19th, to testify about the studio's untenable deadlines and working conditions. The pay and long hours at Marvel were the reason we had to start our unionizing process there. The conditions were completely unsustainable. Um, and of course, we, we had heard about that. We heard a lot about the VFX workers were burnt out. We even heard stories about how maybe that's kind of what led to the firing of Victoria Alonso. How she was kind of um, a little bit more hard with the visual effects team um and stuff and stuff like that um but uh let's go ahead and and you know there's there's more stuff about the vfx stuff that i can go on and on about but we've talked a lot about if you if you've ever heard an episode of the Western, but we have talked a lot about how the vfx workers are were burnt out by this material so i'm not going to go too in depth on that stuff um uh Let's see. I'm trying to... Okay. Let's let's move on to this part of the article. There are signs that the flood of product is leading people to tune out. I'm not prepared to call it a permanent fall based on what numbers... Based on, based on the numbers that, that go with Marvel podcasts, Marvel-based articles, friends who do Marvel-based video coverage. All of these numbers are significantly down. Uh, says Joanna uh, Joanna Robinsons, co-author of the New York Times bestseller MCU: The Reign of Marvel Studios, who is a writer and podcaster at The Ringer. The quality is suffer. Uh, the quality is suffering. In 2019, at the peak, if you put Marvel Studios in front of something, people were like, "Oh, that that brand means quality." That association is no longer. The case because there have been so many projects that felt half baked and undercooked. As public criticism mounts, Feige is pulling the plug on scripts, projects that aren't working. Case in point, that Blade reboot, the Blade reboot, with Mahershala Ali signed on for the eponymous role of a vampire, things looked promising for, the, for a 2023 release date. But the project has gone through at least five writers, two directors, and one shutdown six weeks before production. One person familiar with the script, uh, uh, permutations, uh, says the story at one point morphed into a narrative led by led by women and filled with life lessons. Blade was relegated to the fourth lead. A bizarre idea considering that the studio the studio had two-time Oscar winner Ali on board. Amid the amid reports that Ali was ready to exit over script issues, Feige went back to the drawing board and hired Michael Green, the Oscar-nominated writer of Logan, to start anew. Speculation uh, around town is that the studio is looking to make the film, now slated for 2025, on a budget of less than $100 million, a deviation from Marvel's big spending strategy. With Iger publicly acknowledging the downside of Marvel TV glut in 
that diluted at the focus and attention, the keepers of the comic book empire are considering some dramatic moves. Sources say that there have been talks to bring back the original, uh, the original gang of, of Avengers of, of an Avengers movie. Uh, this would include reviving Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man and Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow, both of whom were killed off in Endgame. That shouldn't be a stumbling block in, in comic books. Beloved characters have often been killed off only to be resurrected thanks to the power of things like the, mul the multiverse. But the studio hasn't committed to the idea if it were able to bring those actors back. It wouldn't be so, uh, it wouldn't come cheap. Sources say that Downey Jr.'s upfront salary for Iron Man 3 was around $25 million. So let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about there's a lot to talk about there. Number one, Blade. How in the world do you come up with an idea for a Blade movie? And your draft and your idea for this movie leads you to write a draft of a script where Blade is only the fourth lead of his own movie? How do you go backwards on that? That's something you come up with on a first draft, not a third, fourth, or a fifth draft of a story. Like, that's just insane to me. And you almost do feel bad for Mahershala Ali because he came out at Comic-Con with this blade hat, he was so excited. He was like, "Man, I can't wait to be part of the MCU." Uh, the post-credit scene in Eternals had a tease of him at the end of that. It's like we were ready to see him, only to have all these issues come with it. Now, like the article states, they have brought in an Academy Award-nominated writer to to write a new draft for Blade. And they're reworking the film to give it a budget less than $100 million, which is great. Because there is no reason why characters like Blade, characters like Deadpool, characters like Daredevil, and all that stuff should cost any more than uh, 60 to $80 million. The fact that... let's well, In fact, let's take a look at that. Deadpool. What was the budget on the first Deadpool movie? $58 million. Now, granted, yes, you could. You, someone's going to make the argument with me saying, but Zeke, everyone took pay cuts. Ryan Reynolds took a pay cut. Do, Tim Miller took a pay cut. Uh, the writers took a pay cut. And yes, while that is true, they were still able to make something fantastic. Something that back in 2016, people were calling it, like people were touting the original Deadpool as being the, this, people kept saying, I remember at the time, people saying, this is going to be the first comic book movie nominated for Best Picture. Deadpool is going to be the first comic book movie nominated for Best Picture. Now, it didn't end up getting nominated for Best Picture, but it, but it was getting so much love during awards season, you know? $58 million, and they turned out something fantastic. In fact, I will argue that Deadpool is, for me, one of the greatest superhero origin stories I've ever seen. 
And again, they did not make that movie for a hundred million dollars. They made it on a <coughs> they made it on a budget. Now Deadpool two, they rate they got a they got a little bit more of a budget, but it still wasn't two hundred million dollars. The the budget for that second movie was a hundred and ten. You know. So it is possible for you to make a Blade movie less for a hundred million dollars. You just have to do less green screen and shoot on practical locations, which is which would be which is what you did with Eternal. I mean, look, Chloe Zhao shot a lot of Eter- a lot of the movie uh, Eternals was shot on practical locations, you know, so. It's not that Marvel hasn't done that before. They absolutely have. But I think also they've kind of relied a little too much on green screen to to tell their stories. But now talking about this whole reviving the original Avengers. Now, now a lot of Marvel fans have kind of predicted that Secret Wars is going to kind of... Be a small little reset for Marvel. That they're going to use Secret Wars as a way to bring back characters like Iron Man, Black Widow, and Steve Rogers. Now, this wouldn't be a this would not be a bad idea to do that because I think part of the reason why Marvel's success has kind of dipped a little bit. Is the absence of characters like Iron Man, um, of characters like Iron Man and Steve Rogers, who were your two core members of the MCU? The entire MCU at that point revolved around Iron Man and Steve Rogers to the point where they were referenced in every single film. You know, even even so much to the point after they were gone. Uh, you know, films like Eternals referenced. You know, oh, now that Captain Rogers and Iron Man are both gone, who's going to lead the Avengers? I could lead them. You know, stuff like that. They've been they've been kind of referencing these characters despite the fact that they're gone still to this day. <coughs> now. Should they bring back Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, and uh, Chris Evans? I think if you could get them, yes. But again, Robert Downey Jr.'s upfront salary for Iron Man 3 was, was around $25 million. And does Marvel want to continue paying Robert Downey Jr. a lot of money? You know... I would say you could bring back characters like Iron Man and Steve Rogers, but you would have to really you'd you'd have to go the recasting route. You know, you'd have to cast a new actor to play Tony Stark. Um, I'm sure Scarlett Johansson would love to come back as Black Widow because she came back to make Black Widow uh, to make that Black Widow movie. So Scarlett Johansson is probably not going to be too hard to convince her to come back as. As, uh, as as Black Widow, um, but for someone like Chris Evans, 
you know, Chris Evans. I know Chris Evans has talked about coming back uh, to play Steve Rogers, and I know there was a report saying that he was coming back, but I I firmly believe that Chris Evans is kind of done with the character. Um, I think I think Chris Evans wants to explore other options and and do his own thing, and you know, um, because I mean, you also have to keep in mind. Playing these characters revolves you to involves you to be in really good physical condition. You know, I mean, one of the reasons why Hugh Jackman wanted to stop playing Wolverine is because he hated having to stay in in that kind of shape. And now, with him coming back in Deadpool three and this strike happening, now he has to like literally stay. On whatever diet he's on to make sure that he's still in good shape. Because you never know when they're going to get back to start shooting. <laughs> which is just, which, you know, yes, can make you go, oh, poor, poor Hugh Jackman. But think about how much, how straining it, how, how much strain that can take on your, on your body, you know. Um, so, so yes. There's a and there's a like I said there's a lot of lot of things in this article that they bring up that sounds like wow to the point. But the the funny thing about this article is that it starts it's it names off all these bad news you know all Quantumania, VFX, all this stuff right, and then tries to. End it with like, oh, but there's a bright side, you know. Here's here's how here's how they kind of wrap up the uh, uh, how how they kind of wrap up the article. Okay, here it is. Um, still there was one bright spot in 2023. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, which became Marvel's biggest draw of the year, with. $845 million worldwide. The fact that it was directed by James Gunn, the guy now running rival DC Studios, was no loss was no was lost on on no one. With Marvel, it used to be as close to guarantee as you can get, says Paul um Degar Bedian, a box office analyst for Comscore. So going all in on the budgets made sense. Guardians 3 was a bit overlooked in how successful it was. But but that had James Gunn and Chris Pratt and I think the star power is becoming more important. I think I think star power is becoming more important than than there was Quantumania with uh 476 million. Uh anything under half a billion dollars is viewed as a disappointment. And these overreaching expectations are a result of so much success over the years. The key to reinvigorating Marvel may lie with the superhero arsenal that Disney acquired during its 2019 purchase of twenty of 21st Century Fox. Uh, it's 20th Century Fox, but not but there's a typo there. Um, that deal brought several blue chip heroes such as X-Men and Fantastic Four back under the studio's control. 
Already, fans are geeking out about next year's Deadpool 3, which unites Ryan Reynolds' Merc with the Mouth with Hugh Jackman's Wolverine and a reboot of Fantastic Four slated for 2025. As a bonus... The Fox editions give Feige an opportunity to reimagine the X-Men franchise, the very property he cut his teeth into as a young executive at Lauren Schuler Donner's production company. Now that the WAG strike is in, is in the rearview mirror, Marvel has started talking to writers about bringing the X-Men into the M in MCU fold. While, re while Feige recalibrates, the rest, of the, the rest of the industry is anxiously hoping that Marvel's best days are not behind them. Writing the Marvel obituary would be ill-advised, says Jason Squire, a professor of images at a USC School of Cinematic Arts and the host of the Movie Business Podcast. Kevin Feige is the, is the Babe Ruth of movie executives, and Marvel has the most profitable track record in movie history, no question. And that brings the end of the Variety article. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go... I'm gonna drink some water real quick, cause man, that made man, my throat <coughs> is really hurting from that from all that reading. So the and and I think that art the end of that article really nailed it. The thing that I believe is really going to help Marvel and is is the addition of character is Deadpool three. Here's kind of what I mean by this, okay? Let's compare the history of Marvel to the history of Disney animation, okay? Um, Walt Disney Animation Studios, okay? Let's, let's, uh, let's kind of go through, let's kind of go through uh, their, their history here a little bit, okay? Uh, okay. Let's let's go ahead and 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 kind of look at their history here for as as we go through this, okay? Walt Disney started producing films <coughs> like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Dumbo, Bambi, which were big, which were fantastic films, okay? That were beloved by a lot of people. Okay? Then they had an era where they were a little bit slower with their uh, with their package films that were still beloved during World War II, like Saludos Amigos, The Three Caballeros, Make My Music, Fun and Fancy Free, Melody Time, and The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Then, Marvel, uh, Disney once again hit a huge bright spot with Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, Sleeping Beauty, 101 Dalmatians, The Sword in the Stone, and The Jungle Book, which were all uh critical and some of them were financial successes but but Disney was at the top of their game from the from the first film Snow White to uh Disney's The Jungle Book okay then came the death of Walt Disney okay Walt Disney ended up uh, uh dying uh before the Jungle Book's release, but Jungle Book was what, kind of the last film that he uh, worked on. Um, and then came an era known as, I like to call it the, I like to call it the middling 
Disney animation the middling years. With films like The Aristocats, Robin Hood, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, The Rescuers, Fox and the Hound, The Black Cauldron, The Great Mouse Detective, and Oliver and Company, all within that era. Now, that's not to say most of those films were bad. I mean, in fact, Great Mouse Detective and Oliver and Company are really good films. Fox and the Hound is another really good film, Rescuers, uh, Robin Hood. But these films were not as beloved as the earlier Disney films. You know, and in fact, people at during this period of time were saying the same things about these movies that we are now saying about Marvel. Oh, Disney lost their touch. They're definitely not making the movies like they did during Walt's days. You know, it's it. We're we're saying they. We are saying the same thing now. We're saying the exact same thing now. Oh, Marvel isn't making films like the Phase One through Three era film. We're not. They're not making films as great as the ones from the Infinity Saga. And then Disney had what they what is called the Disney Renaissance. Little Mermaid was the first movie on this list, and it changed everything for them. It got them back on the right track. In fact, it actually uh, made them, once again, household names. And at that time... Before Pixar came into came into the picture, they were the top dog in animation. I think that Deadpool 3 is going to be Marvel's version of The Little Mermaid. Whereas we had Phase 4 and some of Phase 5, you know, uh, Black Widow, Shang... You know, we've had some great films in there, like Shang-Chi and Spider-Man No Way Home. Um... Uh, I would say Black. You add Eternals and Black Panther, Wakanda Forever in that list as well. Um, we've had, we definitely have had some big hits during this during this time at Marvel, but we've had a lot of we've had a lot of middling films. Okay, we've had a lot of films that weren't that perfect, that weren't that great. But Deadpool 3 could become Disney, uh, could become Marvel's version of what The Little Mermaid was for Disney animation. It could be the one that really saves them and really helps bring uh, that Marvel magic back. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that Deadpool 3 alone can do that because the films after it have to be great, you know. Because it wasn't just Little Mermaid alone that saved it. It was The Rescuers Down Under, which was also great. Beauty and the Beast, which became the first animated film to be nominated for Best Picture. Aladdin, which was which was wonderful. The Lion King, which became a phenomenon. Pocahontas, which was great. Uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, Mulan, and Tarzan. There were great films and great stories that followed The Little Mermaid. And that's what Marvel needs. Marvel needs one movie that will be great. In fact, let me, if I could, bring back, bring up the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe films. I could bring up, okay, so Deadpool 3, 
is the next one after the Marvels. And then you have Captain America, uh, Bra- uh, Brave Brave New World, um, Thunderbolts, Blade, Fantastic Four. If all of those films can really hit, then Marvel will start. Then then I can then I can say that we're we are going to be in a position where we'll go okay, yes. This is the Marvel that we're all familiar with, you know. And I think also, I think what what I would suggest, if I'm, if I'm, if someone said Zeke, we're gonna give you Kevin Feige's job for one day, what's the one change you're gonna make? It's this: two films per year, two films. And two TV shows per year. Now, yes, that means we're going to have to wait a very long time for Avengers Secret Wars. I know. However, part of the reason why a lot of fans are kind of tired with Marvel is because they have just released too many. There's just too much. In 2021 alone, there were four movies. You know, 2022, three movies. 2023, three movies. They need to go... And then 2024, we have three movies again. You know? And what they need to do is they need to go back to... to, They need to go back, take a step back, and start releasing two movies and two TV shows. Make those the priority. And then be like, okay. And then start easing your way back into releasing three a year. Because that is ultimately, I think, the best thing that could happen um, for them. So, um, so yeah. Uh, those are my thoughts on this whole Marvel Studios fiasco. What do you guys think of all this? Uh, does this sound like... Does this all sound like a mess to you? Is this... Is this a... Uh, is it a shame that you have to hear this news? Let let me know what you guys think. Hit me up on social media. Comment on the podcast. Comment on the YouTube channel. Let me know what you guys think. So, um, All right. So we are going to go ahead and move on to the next topic. And uh, we're going to talk about this Echo trailer. So let's not waste any time. And let's move on to topic number two. All right, guys. So... Let, we're going to move on to our second topic. And, you know, we always knew that, uh, you know, Marvel had greenlit this uh, this series, which was a spinoff of the uh, Hawkeye uh, TV show. And uh, we had heard not great things from it. We heard, actually, I read certain reports and had done some research, and um, there have been just issues that a lot of people believe that this is one of the worst things Marvel's ever made. And, listen, that could still be the case. We could end up watching this show and think, oh, wow, this... 
really sucks. However, I actually firmly believe that this looks at least a lot better than I initially thought. Um, and it's one of those situations where I regret not recording a trailer reaction for it. Because you guys should have seen the reaction. I was just blown away. I just remember watching it going, oh, wow, this is way different than what I thought this was going to be. So let's go ahead and watch this. And we'll kind of break it down as we as we watch it here. I mean, first thing that threw me off right away was just like just the look of it, like the visual look. It this right away, I I was like, "Whoa, this looks different. This looks way way different than than uh, something like a Hawkeye." Um. I see everything that you are. And here comes Kingpin. And right away, this trailer has so far redeemed the Kingpin that we got in Hawkeye. Everyone was disappointed with with Kingpin and Hawkeye and how he was portrayed and stuff like that. But this kind of already redeems him because just all the and you see blood, you see blood on the hands, like oh my goodness! What I love about this is, you know, Marvel has traditionally, with their TV shows, have has traditionally kept the same tone for their shows as they have for their movies. This feels like the tone of a series like The Sopranos, Breaking Bad, um, like even the Marvel Netflix shows, Game of Thrones. This feels like a a, a TV show tone um and just no bad deed goes unpunished love that tag and we and just we we get someone someone gets shot in the head in this in this trailer like Just the amount of
love, I, I, I love that lot. I love that moment. Just who's the monster? And we do, and we do get confirmation. Kingpin didn't die at the end of uh, Hawkeye, which I never kind of thought. I never thought he did. <clears throat> I remember when I first saw Hawkeye, I was like, "Oh well, they they just killed Kingpin. That was a waste." And then I kind of wa- and when I watched it again, because I'll be honest, Hawkeye has grown on me. Like Hawkeye has honestly become one of my favorite Disney Plus shows because when you look at that as a Christmas special, like look at Hawkeye. As an extended version of what the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special was. It's fun. It's fun. It's entertaining. And I'll be honest. Despite the fact that I prefer this version of Kingpin. Other than the. I was. I've grown to kind of be okay with the Kingpin we got in. um, In Hawkeye. You know the Hawaii shirt. The Hawaiian shirt. I, I think it's funny. I think it's entertaining. But. I definitely do prefer this darker, this more intense version of the Kingpin. Um, and I think Vincent D'Onofrio is really going to get an opportunity to uh, kind of show what he's got here. Um, and I'm so glad that Marvel has gone in this route of they are now okay with making mature content. Because that's the other thing that kind of is a little frustrating with with marvels that that they they haven't gone to that point of okay we're still making family friendly contents even with their disney plus stuff we kind of thought that that with their disney plus stuff they would kind of go a little bit more mature you know with introducing characters like moon knights and all that stuff like especially when they announced moon knight i was like okay this is going to be our first character that we get with a dark tone it's going to be the same tone as the the Netflix shows, and what we got it was just another Marvel. It was basically just another Marvel movie. It was Moon Knight, the extended cut. That's basically what we got, you know. Uh, Marvel Studios Moon Knight, the extended edition. You know, this I am shocked to see because I'll be honest, I was not looking forward to this show at all. Because number one, I heard terrible things about it. Number two, Disney's dropping the whole thing at once, you know. And number three, I wasn't a fan of the character in Hawkeye. I Like, I wasn't a huge fan of her. Like, she was not the character. When I watched Hawkeye, she was not the character that I was talking about the most. Um, so, for me, I was, I was not looking forward at all to this show. I'll be honest. I'm actually very intrigued by it. I'm not going to say I'm excited. I still think that there's a possibility that this show could might not be that great. But I'm more intrigued now knowing that this is the tone we're getting. And I'm hoping that Marvel can use this tone for Daredevil. For um, if they ever decide to do Punisher, Punisher. You know, like, bring back those tones, because, you know, yes, it's okay to have your fun, lighthearted characters like the Guardians, Thor, and all that stuff, but there are certain Marvel characters that I believe deserve that darker tone, you know? (sighs) 
Um, I do want to go back to um, a part of the trailer. That you kept contained it. I'm trying to see if I can find it, but... Okay. Right here. Right here. You got you got it right here. It's a little hard to see cuz it goes by really really quick. Uh at you go to the if you guys are if you guys have the trailer in front of you, go to the 1 tw 1 minute and 27 second mark. That's Daredevil in a fight with, with, with Echo. So, and we had kind of heard that both Charlie Cox and, and Vincent D'Onofrio were going to return um, in here. But just seeing that is pretty, pretty cool. So, um, I am more intrigued by this movie than I ever have been. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, I am very intrigued to see where, what this show brings. Um, especially given the fact that the Disney Plus shows, the, the Marvel Disney Plus shows have very much not hit as well as um, other TV shows have, you know. I'm I'm really looking forward to it now. I'm I wasn't I, I really wasn't beforehand, but now that I've seen this trailer, it's it's gotten me more interested. Definitely more interested. So Alright. Let's go ahead and, and, and wrap this up by talking about Loki season two, episode five. Now I didn't get a chance to review episode four, but episode four I thought was fantastic. Loved it. Um, it, it's, it was real, it was very well paced. Um, I thought the stakes were absolutely fantastic. Um, and the way it ended almost had almost like an infinity war kind of ending to it. Right. Where you're, where shit just hit the fan and it ends with like, just the what the F just happened, you know? Going so going into episode five, are we starting to set us up for a disappointing finale like we did last season? You know, because episode four of last season was really great. Season and then episode five came and it was good and it was pretty fun. You know, all the Loki variants and stuff like that. It was it was really good. And then the finale hit and we were just it was like uh, it went out on a whimper. Are is that going to be the same case here? And I thought this 
was even better than four. Like this episode was fan effing fantastic. Um, seeing Loki, like the whole episode, Loki is trying to essentially control his time skipping because he's still time skipping. Um, he go he goes to these alternate realities where his friends are essentially his t- his friends from the TVA are essentially living out lives. You know, we see Casey is an ex- is an escaped convict. Um, Ob is a failed science fiction artist, uh, uh, author. Um, we see that uh, uh, B B fifteen I think is her name is a doc is like a is a do- is a doctor. Um, and then um, Mobius is selling jet skis. Um, so yes, everyone wanted to see Mobius with, with a jet ski after season one, we finally got Mobius with some jet ski, uh, jet skis. Um, but I love seeing this and I love what my favorite part about this episode was actually that conversation he has with Sylvie and they're sitting down, they're having a drink together and, um, you know, she's like, she's like, and, and Loki's just like, I, I, I want, I want to save the TVA. And he goes, and she goes, and she goes, why? I, I think she says something like why? And he, and, and he goes, I want my friends back. Oh my goodness. That's so great. And, and again, it goes back to what makes the Loki, the Loki character so fascinating is that Loki Despite the fact that he grew up with Thor and he had that brotherly love with Thor for a while, Loki has always kind of felt alone. He's always felt like the outsider, you know, and which is why I honestly can kind of um, relate to Loki in a sense is that <coughs> Loki has always felt like this. He was playing second fiddle to everybody in his in his life, you know, and he's and he's always felt and like I said, has always felt like the outsider. And and this series has really kind of explored that in many different ways. You know, season one was a, was really about <coughs> Loki f- coming to terms with his own inner demons, um, and see and season two has really become him coming face to face with his loneliness. You know, and how alone he truly feels, and that's what I love about this. And I love the fact that this episode tackled on that you know it's taken a character who was already kind of three-dimensional but has given him more and more layers and gave him way more development and that's why i kind of believe that loki has is kind of becoming what iron man was in the infinity saga loki that's loki's position now loki is now the main focus he's the main character of this saga He's the one who is going to be leading us to where we're eventually going to go with the Avengers films, you know. Um, And uh, I would not be surprised if he ultimately ends up becoming the big hero of the saga. Because again, because I'm not going to lie, going uh, going into Ant-Man and the Wasp, I kind of thought Ant-Man was going to kind of fill that spot. Um, given the fact that Ant-Man is the one who kind of introduced the concept of tra- of time travel with the quantum realm. <laughs> but 
Obviously, that's not the case. It, this is clear. It's clear now that Loki is kind of going to be the driving force of what leads us into Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. Um, so that's going to be very, very interesting. But, but yeah, this is this season is almost over. I can't believe it. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm kind of bummed out. I like this is the, this is the one of the reasons why I hate the fact that these Marvel shows are only six episodes because it's like, wow, it's already almost over. Like five episodes went by like that. Now I just really hope the only thing I'm hoping with this is that I just hope Marvel can stick the landing because look, Secret Invasion was really really good until the finale, you know. Um. Moon Knight was really, really good until the finale. Loki Season 1 was really, really good until the finale, you know. And I'm really hoping that Marvel can stick the landing on this one because I think Loki is really starting to go up there as probably my favorite MCU Disney Plus show because just how much in it is geared towards what I love about the MCU. And that's giving us great characters and relatable characters in a sense. So, yeah, very, very uh, excited about that. But, uh, but yeah, that, those are my thoughts on Season 2, Episode 5. we got one more episode to go, and I am really excited about that. But <coughs> that will do it for this week's episode of the Webzoners Podcast. Next week is going to be a very packed one. Not only are we going to review the finale of Loki... But we are also going to talk about spoilers for Captain, uh, well, not Captain Marvel 2. We are going to be talking about the Marvels. And we're going to do a spoilers review for the Marvels. Now, my hope is that we can get Michael on that episode. Because I really do want to do a review with him. Uh, However, um, Michael has been very busy uh, with between uh, moving and all that stuff. So, uh we're gonna see, and and he's got a he's got a con. I believe he's got anim, uh, a convention coming up pretty soon. I believe he's got anime con uh, coming up very soon. But um, we're gonna try and get him on. And if we can't, then oh well, we'll just do it without him. But um, yeah, I'm very excited to do that, and very intrigued to see how this turns out. Um, but that will do it for this review of. Uh, well, for this episode of the Webstringers Podcast, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you guys like the, like the episode, please make sure to share and subscribe. I think you guys should subscribe to the podcast because Zeke the Geek said so. And I will talk to you guys later. Peace out.